Good morning. We are on the second word that reflects our choice. Now, if you missed the last couple of weeks, uh, we talked about the Christian experience of salvation. And we said that as the Lord helps us during the first half of the year, um, it won't be every service, but we want to talk about 14 words that are used to describe the Christian faith. We're not trying to get into unnecessary detail or just minutia, but uh, the, the Christian experience of salvation is so powerful. You remember last week I said, these 14 words are not an assembly line where we go through and get this, then this, and then this, then this. Now, some of them are sequential. Our glorification is yet to be, but um, most of them happen simultaneously. The fact is the Christian experience of salvation is so beautiful and so powerful, so wonderful that there is not human, a human word that can encapsulate everything that God does for us. Uh, everything, you know, when you get married, you not only gain a husband or a wife, but you also gain a friend, you gain a lover, you gain a confidence, you gain uh, a, a, a fellow uh, partner in the raising of children. You, you, gather, you gain so much and one word can't describe it all. And how much more so, if that's true in marriage with humans, how much more so is that true in the process known as salvation where we're brought into the family of God? Um, the, the Bible puts it this way, it, it very, very succinctly, very powerfully, but still inadequately. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him, but he has revealed them to us by his spirit. And that's what we're doing with these words. We said that of these 14 words, they're divided into four groups, words that describe our choice, words that describe the change that occurs, words that describe the consequences of those changes, and then words that reflect the challenge. You know, what's ahead? How do we press into this. And we said we, of course, would start with the words that reflect our choice. Justin, I forgot it again. Thank you so much. And um, the first word last week was repentance. The second word today is faith. Now, next week, we'll wrap up this section about the choice, and we'll look at the word called confession. What does it mean for us to confess Jesus as Lord. And what we're going to find out, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to preach next week's message, but we're going to find out that there are two things we confess. Number one, we confess our sins. We say the same thing as homologeo. Confession is to say the same thing as another. We confess our sins by saying the same thing about our sins that God says about our sins. But we not only confess our sins, we confess our faith. And that means we say the same thing about scripture, about Christianity, about salvation, about holy living. We say the same thing, uh, not only that God says, but we say the same thing that others say. You'll find that church history is full of creeds, creeds 
where the church says, this is so special, we need to articulate so that we say the same thing. And uh, you're going to be blessed next week as we talk about the confession. But today, let's talk about faith. There are so many verses we could choose, but one that I think is beautiful to reflect this idea of faith is found in Acts 16, 31. Paul and Silas had been thrown in jail unjustly and they were under the care of the Philippian jailer. And while they were in stocks, they began to cry out to God and pray and to sing and to worship. And God about midnight sent an earthquake that was so attention grabbing this jailer had no doubt heard their testimony, heard their worship, heard their singing. And when he saw that an earthquake had come and shaken the prison, he was going to commit suicide because the penalty for losing those prisoners was going to be awful. He figured it'd be better to take his own life. But Paul said, don't harm yourself. Everybody is here. And when the jailer began to recognize that God had shown his power and had mercy, he says, what do I need to do to be saved? He had heard them talking about it and singing about it. What must I do to be saved? And here's the response. Believe, that's a, a root word for faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. That's what we want to look at today. This thing called belief that is also described by the synonym faith. And we could talk for hours about faith is not some abstract thing, but faith has to have an object. Just believing is nothing. Well, I believe, you know, that may mean you believe in Sasquatch. That may mean you believe in, in Kentucky Fried Chicken, but faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the object of our faith. And when he is the object of our faith, it results in something called salvation. Now, repentance was the first word. Let me just draw a little line so you can see where we're going. And let me say this, almost all the words have to do with past, present, and future. To understand the Christian experience of salvation, I think it is, it is, it's not imperative. I mean, you can be saved without understanding that, but to really get a grip on these words, you need to understand that salvation is a process, not that process, meaning hopefully one day we'll be saved, but it's a process with three parts. There is the past. We were saved. If you have come to Jesus, you're not waiting for the day when you will be saved you are saved right now. But at the same time, you are being saved. God is doing a work in you and me that uh, it's called sanctification. And sometimes we feel like it's happening faster than at other times. Sometimes people look at us and wonder if it's really happening in us or not. But God is saving us. He is bringing present action out of a out of a point in the past. So I can say that I was saved. I can say that I'm being saved and praise God. The day is coming when I will be saved. It'll be complete. It'll be a finished product. But I wanted to tell you this in, in most of these words, we might refer to it, but we're not going to spend a lot more time there because we've talked about that. I'm going to mention it a little bit today, but when we talked about repentance, we said that repentance 
is a process of turnings. And you should have your definition card in your bulletin today. It's a process of turnings. We turn away from the past. We turn toward the future. We turn around in the present. Repentance is the process by which we turn life in a new direction. That's last week. Last week is about turning and a new direction. Today, faith is the process about forming a new relationship. Repentance is about turning. Faith is about relationship. Not positive thinking. Not, you know, getting everything that I want. Faith, the root word, the most basic, foundational, ancient usage of the word translated faith was the idea of trust. So I not only have changed my direction of life through repentance, but my trust is no longer where it used to be. I don't trust my own strength anymore. I don't trust the bank necessarily anymore. Not that you can't trust your strength or the bank, but that's not the foundation of your, of your life. There's a new point of trust and it's based on you forming a new relationship. Faith is the process by which we form a new living relationship with Christ Jesus manifested in the past. Now here are three words that are important. Faith has to do with the past because I have become convinced. Faith, you don't have faith if you're not convinced that a certain testimony is true. We are also not only convinced that something is true, we are committed to the object of that truth because if he behaved this way in the past, we can trust him to behave this way in the future. But we also, while we are convinced of what he did and, and committed to what he said he will do, we live in communion. That's faith also, drawing on his power and his presence for victorious living. So repentance is the turning of our life. Faith is the establishing of a new relationship. Christianity is the only religion, and I include every other world religion uh, that I know of, Christianity is the only one that has faith as its anchor point. You look at every other religion, and in one form or another, the anchor point is deeds. The anchor point is pedigree. The anchor point is what I do. But in Christianity, the anchor point is faith. In fact, faith is the essence of Christianity because the scripture says and teaches without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now he is so gracious with us. Our faith doesn't have to be perfect. Our faith doesn't have to be fully developed. Our faith doesn't have to be infallible. But at the heart of our relationship with Jesus is the fact that we have repented. We've turned from something and set our sights in another direction and we are establishing a relationship. We know what he did was true. Because of that, we know he will keep his word and keep his promise. And while I'm waiting for that promise to come, I live in communion with him and my faith is growing. My faith is manifesting. My faith is becoming a bigger part of my life day in, day, uh, day in and day out. Now let's look at three principles and then we'll try to wrap it all up. Um, number one, to understand faith, we need to understand that faith produces confidence in the gospel reports of the past. Um, 
I was talking with one of my grandchildren and grandma was rocking them and having a good time. And we were talking and I said, you know, when you were a baby, every time you came over here, Papa held you and either rocked you or went out in the swing and would swing. And I said, sometimes for a couple of hours, we would just swing and I would sing songs to you. And he said, what did you sing to me? And I said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I thought about all, we told him all the other songs we sing and he grinned, he loved them. And you know what I was thinking the other day, I read something not too long ago and I under this, and I'm not gonna mention the person's name because I believe they are sincere in what they're trying to do. I believe they love the Lord and they're building the kingdom and I, I wouldn't want to be insulting to them or demeaning to them, but they have chosen a path and this is what he said. He said, we've got to raise a new generation that's not satisfied to say, I believe this because the Bible says it so. Now, I know what he was trying to say. He was trying to say, we need to teach our kids how to defend the faith. We need to teach apologetics and, and we, need to, we need to give them something other than, well, the Bible says so. And I understand what he was trying to say, but I want to tell you, I think he's turning in a wrong direction. We do need to do what Peter said. Peter said we need to be able to give reason to every man for the hope that lies within us. We, we need to be able to make a defense of the faith. I believe that with all of my heart. But I think what this person is unintentionally doing is what many churches in America are doing in an attempt to be inoffensive in an attempt to be um, something better than their fathers were. And they are taking from us that core of faith where we believe the Bible because it says so. Now, I, I, please don't misunderstand me. I believe in education. I believe in defending the gospel. I believe in, in um, apologetics. That means the defense of the gospel. I believe our faith ought to be reasonable. I believe our, there's reason. I, I, I believe all of that. But I think what's happening in so many churches is faith is under assault because we're now saying it's not enough to just believe the Bible because the Bible says it. We've got to be able to prove it. We've got to be able to defend it. We've got to be able to, to argue it on a logical level. But loved ones, I want you to understand while I agree with the, all these other components, there has to be something in the heart of every believer that says, I believe the Bible, whether I understand it or not. I believe the Bible, whether I can explain it or not. I believe the Bible, whether it offends my mind or not. And our children need to be reintroduced to the concept of little Samuel that in the, in the waning moments of wakefulness, just before he goes to sleep, he hears his name called and he thought it was Eli and he goes and says, what can I do for you? Our children need to be introduced to the concept that the word of God is alive it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Anything that we can explain about the Bible logically, somebody else can disprove logically. 
And, and I think in an attempt to be less offensive, nobody likes to be called crazy. Nobody likes to be called weak. You know, I listened to Jesse Ventura a few years ago, and I, I really liked Jesse Ventura. Um, I'm, I'm not a wrestling fan, but I just liked him. And, and I was listening to him, and he said, I'm not much for religion because all Christians do is they put their trust in something that's fake and something that's not real and something that's just play acting. And I thought, Jesse, what in the world is a professional wrestler doing talking about the weakness of, uh, you know, and, and I just went, Ugh. I listened to somebody else the other day on a, on, on a podcast. They said, uh, Christians are nothing but weak people that use faith as a crutch. And then he went on and talked about how he just, when I have troubles, I just, I go to the bottle. I'll get drunk and I'll be drunk all weekend. That's my crutch. And here's a man who says alcohol is my crutch, but he criticizes us and calls faith a crutch. And I, you know, my response is if Jesus is a crutch, I'll take a wheelchair. I'll take, I'll take two crutches. <laughs> Loved ones, we are so eager. The church in America is so eager to make faith logical that we don't understand faith transcends logic. Faith is greater than logic. And when you try to make faith logical, you make it less than it is. I want my children, I want my grandchildren, I pray for my great-grandchildren that aren't even born yet, I pray for them that they will never lose the wonder of Scripture. I pray that they will never be so educated, that they will never be so logical, that they will never be so sophisticated, that somehow they feel that the Word of God is beneath them. And I'm telling you, the, maybe I can't prove that it's a majority, but I think it's a majority of pastors in America are so interested, if they believe the gospel at all, they want to remove the offense of the gospel. They want to make it a smart man's game. They want to make it something that is higher and more sophisticated and more elevated than God ever intended it to be. And loved ones, we must not get away. It's okay to understand systematic theology. It's okay to understand the dynamics of creation. It's okay to be uh, uh, you know, a rocket scientist that uses his intellect to defend creation or whatever. All of that is fine, but we must not lose the ability that we believe with all of our heart, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The less you believe in the infallibility of Scripture, the less you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, the less you believe that the Scripture is true when it says that holy men of old were carried along by the Holy Spirit, and they wrote things from the heart of God, and we believe they were preserved from error. The less you believe that, and the more um, less supernatural you make the message of God's word, the weaker your faith, and it will just be a matter of time before something comes along that blows you out of the water. And I want you to know that faith is confidence in the gospel reports. Um, the, you know what the Bible says about this whole mystery of creation? I, I've studied creation, you know, young earth, old earth, 
What are the six days? Da, 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 da. I've studied and studied and studied. And I want to tell you, it, it, it's mind-blowing. I know God is creator and I know the Bible is true. I just don't know how to explain some of these things. But you know what the Bible says about something as mystical and, and, and mysterious as creation? It says that creation is understood by faith. It's understood by faith. By faith... The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11, verse 3, by faith, we understand that the world was framed by the word of God, not by an advanced degree from MIT or not by an IQ of 180. God has withheld enough. Let me, let me say it another way. God has revealed enough in the scripture to make our faith intelligent. But God deliberately withholds enough that our faith has room to grow. And I know it's offensive to the mind. I know our educational system doesn't like it. But the Bible is something that cannot be grasped beyond faith. Some of it is explainable. Some of it is amazingly precise and concise and explains things that the world can't explain. But some of it is a mystery. And we need to ask God to put a simple faith in our heart so that you can put that simple faith in your children's heart. That's why we're so interested in the next generation because the church, I know the church will never be extinct, but I also know that faith is just one generation away from extinction in a church, in a family. And we've got to get back to that point where we understand that we have confidence in the reports of the scripture, what God has done in the past. You say, well, I just don't want to appear foolish. It's too late. <laughs> we already appear foolish. I read that text when God called me to preach. I didn't understand it. To tell you the truth, I was a little insulted by it. But Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he says, it has pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save. And I thought, boy, I, nobody wants to go into a business where they're acting foolishly. But you know what? I thank God for that Greek one class. And I learned the word kerugma or kerugmatos. And you know what I found out? God and Paul was not saying that preaching is foolish. Now I've heard some foolish preaching. I, I hope it's not true, but I've probably done some foolish preaching. But preaching is not foolish. That's not what Paul was talking about. The word karugma or karugmatos, it wasn't referring to the act of preaching. It was referring to the message of preaching. In other words, the message seems foolish. To the Greeks, it was foolishness. To the Gentiles, it was foolishness. To Israel, the preaching of the gospel was a stumbling block. The thought that Messiah would come and then die was a stumbling block. And loved ones, as long as we lean to our own mind, the gospel will appear to be foolishness. And God has not caused us to remove the reproach of the foolishness. He's not called us to polish up the message and see if we can give, you know, we act as though what God needs is a good PR agency. He says there's foolishness that's attached to the truth. And part of faith is embracing the truth even when the world calls it foolish. You know, there's an interesting passage. And I know I'm running a risk when I say this. I promise you, I give you my word 
that I am not talking about the vaccinations, COVID vaccinations. Uh, no, I'm serious. I'm not talking about that. That's not what I mean. But I'm going to tell you, we're in a culture, we're already doing what Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 20. This is what Paul said. He said, now, Timothy, as you do the work of the ministry, avoid profane babbling. Avoid opposing views. I mean, opposing the gospel. And he said, avoid buying into science falsely so-called. Most modern translations were, use the word knowledge, but the word that's translated knowledge is the word that we get science from. And, and what he was saying is this. Now, he's not saying science is bad. The only problem with science is that it changes like autumn leaves. I, I, I need therapy because I've been told, don't eat this, it'll kill you. Oh, eat this, it'll kill you. No, don't eat this, it'll kill you. Eat it with this, and, or, you know. And I mean, science, you study the history of science, no offense to people of science, but science changes like the seasons. What's condemned in one generation is embraced in the next. What's thought to be bad in one generation is thought to be good in the next. There's nothing wrong with science. I thank God for science. I have medical conditions and I think I'm alive because of science. I thank God for science. I thank God for medicine. But what Paul was saying, Paul wasn't saying there's anything wrong with science or other knowledge. He said, beware of false science or science so-called. And again, you're running to the vaccine. Don't send me a letter this week. If, it's got, if I see vaccine in it, I won't even read it. But listen to me. I tell you what we're in. We're in a culture that is eager to follow something. So the mantra right now is follow the science. Follow the science. Christians say, oh, I know what the Bible says, but I also know this. And, and e economists do the same thing. Oh, I know the principles of scripture, but I also know the principles of economy. And loved ones, whether it's science or politics or whether it's any one of a dozen things. The church is spinning her wheels right now in America because we have chosen to embrace vain babblings. We have chosen to embrace opposing views. We have chosen to put all of our eggs in the basket of anything other than God's word. I've never seen a time in my life in America where so many voices are embraced and so many causes are embraced. Uh, no amens. But I want you to understand, I have got to stand on this. We, we will not win this battle using the wrong weapons. We will not shine as the church following the wrong things. And what God is attempting to do to whosoever will, and I believe he's raising up a remnant. I believe is that God is looking for a people that will say, my causes are important. My politics are important. This is important. That's important. Nothing wrong with these things. But you must remove them from being the driving force of your life and the driving force of your speech and the driving force of your thinking. And you've got to come back where you say, my faith rests in a story about Jesus and the promises that he made. Now, I, I, don't, they, I can't compromise on that. 
I can't give you a, well, a little of this, a little of that on that. I, and and I, can't, I can't lead somebody that way when you're going that way. So we've got to understand, if you are going to be people of faith, we need to root ourselves in the truth of the gospel. We've got to understand that the word of God is without error, it's without failure, it's without flaw. Now, I know that sometimes a translation may translate a word wrong. But I'm talking about the original word of God. It is without flaw. It is without error. And the people that will overcome will be these people and only these people. We must return our faith to the word of God. And we must stop trying to say, this is true, but. This is true, but. This is true, but. We need to get our butts out of the way. That's with a one T, not a two T. We need to get our butts out of the way and we need to understand we're going to commit to God's word. Now you say, well, there's different ways of interpreting God's word. Yeah, and, and most of them are wrong. And, and, and loved ones, I am not interested in creating a church where we have somehow shaped the word of God to be more palatable to a community that is broken a community that is going to hell, to a system that is flawed. I thank God for what science can do, but science doesn't know it all. I thank God for what our political system can do. I'm thankful that in America, our, our, there's such anger in our system right now, but at least we have a system in place where change is possible. And I'm thankful for what the political system can do. I pray that we'll learn to use it right. But my trust is not in politics. My trust is not in the government. My trust is not in any number of things. I could go on and on and on. But churches that become all God called them to be, there will come a day. Families that become all God wants them to be. There will come a day. Individuals that become all God wants us to be. There will come a day where our faith returns to the word. You say, well, I still believe this is important. Sure it is. I mean, a lot of things are important. But we've adopted a mindset that says, if you don't agree with me on everything, you're not important. Or if you will do it my way, the world will change. And loved ones, we have, we have committed the sin of Romans 1 by taking our preferences and getting what we think is palatable and good, and we will say God is too ugly an image, we need to doctor him up a little bit. You say, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I, I, I really don't think you'd need to. I really don't. I think we need to decide whether or not we're going to believe God's word. I think we need to decide if we're going to be like my dear brother that says, it's not enough to just believe it because it's in the Bible. Are you going to go the way of, of many pastors, even good pastors, even good teachers that say, well, the Bible just, it's, it's just needs some help. Oh, it doesn't need help. It needs to be believed. It needs to be embraced. You say, well, there's, there's things I can't explain. I can't explain it. There are things I don't understand. I don't understand it. 
I, I, I had a list of things that, that when I see Jesus, I'm going to ask him about. You say, well, but I bet through the years, those things, you've checked things off the list. No, it's grown. My list has grown. But I tell you what I do believe. I do believe that my faith is in the record of the past. Now, we, we don't want to be a group of people that are so biblically um, convinced that we put God in a box. Jack Taylor used to say that in his upbringing, he was taught to believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Bible. He said, I was never taught that the Holy Spirit moves. And that shouldn't be offensive. We believe in the Holy Scripture. But we also understand that God is alive and He's active. He's moving. We understand that. But loved ones, we have got to find an anchor point. You've got to decide. Every life needs an anchor point. And you've got to decide, is it going to be God's word or is it going to be a system? Is it going to be something else? You've got to make that decision. I can't fix the world. I'm not, I'm talking to my congregation. You've got to decide what your anchor point is going to be. The scripture says where there is no vision, the people perish. Um, and, but, but with the righteous, there's, there's security. And we, that, that is not talking about a church vision. That's not talking about a strategy for vision. The, the clear meaning of that when you get into the Hebrew text and you analyze it is, is the clear meaning is this. Where there is no absolute authority, where there is no authority from heaven spoken, the people are unrestrained. But those who have an anchor prosper. That's true of nations. We're seeing it now. That's true of the world. We're seeing it in many nations now. But I want you to know we're even beginning to see it in conservative churches. We have abandoned the idea of an absolute word from God. I, I'm, I'm, I tell you, the thing that frightens me that I hear so much, well, you look intense, so let me, I'll move on here. The thing that I hear from Bible-believing pastors, from Bible-believing denominations, is the idea of, well, that's what the Bible says, but there's different ways of interpreting that. And we're not talking about some obscure verse, like four at the causeway, two at Parbar, you know. We're not talking about obscure verses. We're talking about basic Bible doctrines, and what churches are seeking today is a somehow a way to become acceptable to everybody, to become intellectually famous, to become culturally relational. And we have gotten rid of the only anchor point we've got, and that's the Word of God. Well, let's go on because... Um, uh, you've, got, you've got some verses there I won't take time to deal with today. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 I want to give you. Paul commended the Thessalonians. He said, I commend you and I'm so proud of you because you received the message as it really is, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. Loved ones, I say this to Christian life. I say this to the assemblies of God. I say this to our colleges and our higher institutions of learning. We must decide what we are going to do with the word of God. And the less we revere it and honor it, the less God will revere and honor us. Let's go to number two. Faith 
not only produces confidence in the past report, but faith produces commitment to the reliability of Christ for the future. Now, I, I can, I, I've said so much that I can just deal with this point in 30 seconds. Because I believe in the Christ of the Bible and what the Bible says, and I believe he's going to keep his promises, I realize I'm in an ongoing work. He has promised completion of the project, and I am part of a kingdom that is both now and later. God is working in me. Go to number three. Faith produces communion and the reality of Christ in the present. You see, I know what he did. I know what he's going to do. And because I have faith in what he did and what he said he will do, I also embrace communion. I embrace a way of life in which Christ is real in the present. I don't just look back and say, oh, he's my hero. I, I, you know, I, I remember going to George Washington's home, Mount Vernon, and my kids were little. And they had the barrier down from the grave where George and Martha were buried. And they let us get up close. And I stood at the foot of the grave and I explained to my kids, I explained why these people were great. I explained what they did. And everything was the past. Everything was the past. Everything was the past. But when we talk about Jesus, we don't just talk about the past. We talk about the present. He is alive and he's working in us right now. And, and we call it sanctification. And sanctification is both instant, but it's also a process. But it's going to move to a place of completion. So our relationship with Jesus is open, honest, and growing. Now, let me go right to the Christian life lessons because we've had so much today, I, I, I probably need to, to move toward an end here. Um, with these three things in mind, okay, and again, let me repeat one more time. You know, repentance was the turning away from and to and a turning around in the present. And, and in the present, there's a lot of turnings around. But faith is, I believe everything the scripture says about you, Lord. I believe every promise you made will be kept. And because of that, I'm going to live in communion with you right now. Now, there's three things we need to remember. Faith, here's number one. Faith is our response to the grace of God. I'm concerned that Pentecostals and Charismatics, people like us, have done more to confuse the meaning of faith than perhaps any other group in Christianity. The, the only other group that has done a greater disservice to the idea of faith is those that make faith just intellectual assent. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've tried to share the gospel and I ask a person in the course of a conversation, are you a Christian? And they say, yes. And I try to talk about their testimony. And to them, that means I'm not Jewish and I'm not Muslim, so I'm Christian. I believe that Jesus lived. They may not believe Jesus died on the cross. They may not believe Jesus is resurrected. It's an intellectual ascent. I think that is the most damaging form of Christianity where faith is just an intellectual ascent. But I think we have damaged the idea of faith by making faith about something we work up and it's given to us so that we can have everything we need or everything we want. 
You go to seminars that how to write your own check with God. God wants you to have everything you want. And loved ones, these three final points remind us that we were saved, we are saved, we're being saved. Here's the first thing I want you to understand. Faith is our response to the grace of God. Faith does not begin in our heart, nor is it perfected in our heart. The Bible says that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Everything in our life that we call faith, it comes from him. Now, there's, our faith can be increased. Our faith can be weak. Our faith can be tested. Our faith can be tried. But faith is not what we've been taught, that it's just a good positive attitude so you can get whatever you want from God. Now, faith is important. We need to ask believing that we receive. But all of that teaching is a slice of a pie. But we've made it the pie itself. Faith is your response to the grace of God. The scripture says, for it is by grace you've been saved. Okay, how did I get saved? God extends grace. How do I receive that grace? God gives us faith. God puts it in our heart. He says, this is not from yourself, either the grace or the faith. It's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I know I've quoted this before and I don't, I'm not trying to make enemies. But whenever leading teachers say things like this, if Paul had had my revelation of faith, he would have never had to struggle with a thorn in the flesh. And we are flush with teachers that believe if they had just been allowed to live during Bible days, that half the New Testament wouldn't be there because they got it right. And those guys didn't. We've, we've got plenty of teachers like that. Faith is our response to the grace of God. Number two, just as repentance is an ability generated in us by the Holy Spirit, the same is true of faith. You remember last week we learned when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convince or convict or teach the world the truth about sin and righteousness and judgment. We can't even understand our need to repent unless the Holy Spirit shows us. We can't even know we need Jesus unless the Holy Spirit draws us. We can't even come to him unless he opens the door for us to come. That's not only true of repentance, it's true about faith. Now again, Faith can grow, faith can be strong, faith can be weak, but everything that we call faith in our life is a gift from God. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. We need to stop thinking of faith by something that we conjure, shape, and determine by our attitude and by our positive words. And we need to understand that faith is something far more and far um, more powerful than anything that these teachers have presented to us. And it, it, it's rooted in the idea of trust. In its earliest forms, the word for faith was the word for trust, not the word for getting, not the word for having attitude. Faith's not even the word for being positive. 
Faith is the word for trust. Now here's the last thing I want to share with you. Faith is not the ability to get everything we want. Faith is the assurance that we will have everything we need. That is where faith takes us. Not the ability to get everything we want. Now I realize there is a slice of the pie that says you have not because you ask not. You, you don't have because you don't believe. I understand that. But loved ones, we have taken a slice of the pie and neglected this part. We've neglected the pan that the pie is in. You say, well, I, Pastor, I just, I just choose to believe God. You, you, can, you can have this if you want it, but I just choose to believe God. Loved ones, please understand this. Someone disagreeing with you doesn't mean they don't have faith. And someone believing that something's up to God instead of up to my confession, that doesn't mean we don't have faith. I spoke to a pastor last week. He's teaching his church some long emergency stuff. And he said, I said, how's it going? He said, well, doing okay with some, but I've got a lot of people that are just saying, well, I, I, I'm not going to prepare. I'm just going to trust God. And he said, I don't know how to fix that. And, and he, I said, it's because they're embracing a wrong theology. And he said, what do you mean? I said, they think doing nothing is faith and doing anything is the work of the flesh. Loved ones, do you, and I told him, I said, do you honestly believe setting food aside or preparing for difficult days is, is, doesn't require faith? I said, you can do all the preparation, but you still got to have faith because a robber could take it all away in one night. A fire could destroy it in one day. Your food could go bad. All kinds of things can happen. Making preparation for the future doesn't mean you're not trusting God. It means you're doing everything you can to face possibilities. But in the end, I trust God. Over here, a person says, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to trust God. I, and, and there may be people that genuinely feel like, I'm, I just feel like I've got to trust God. That's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not faulting you. I'm not saying you're wrong. But a lot of times, we just don't want to do the legwork in life. And we just say, oh, I'm just trusting God. Which means you don't want to do anything. And you're just going to expect God to take care of everything. This is the reason Pastor Corey is preaching last week. I don't want to come back up here after saying all of this. Corey's preaching the message on, uh, on confession. Uh, loved ones, I, I know I've said this before, but we've got to understand that we've got to stop making it when someone disagrees with us, they don't have faith. Some of the greatest faith. You, you know, Jesus... Jesus talked about a person who had great faith. He talked about it twice. Well, three times he used the phrase great faith. And none of those times where he said, you've got great faith, did the person do anything dramatically demanding. They just chose to trust and believe. But you've got Simon Peter that gets up and walks on water. To me, that's great faith. I would call WIS to record it 
if it happened out at Lake Murray, I'd say, you want to see great faith? And Peter walks on the water, and I know he fell, and I know that, but he took more steps than I've ever taken. <laughs> and he took more steps than any other disciple. I think it's great faith. You know what Jesus said to him? You of little faith. Lord, I walked on the water. We, we are not qualified to decide what's great faith and what's not faith. We don't, we don't have the perspective to call something great faith or, or not great faith. Let me just go back to one of my favorite stories. I know I've told it over and over again, but there's enough new people in the church that a lot haven't heard it. So just bear with me while I tell you an old story. It's the story from the book of Daniel. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember them. When I was, you know, when we were little, those were hard names. So I was taught that it was uh, shake the bed, make the bed, and in the bed you go, you know. But, uh, and that was pretty close. I knew who they were. The, the, the faith level of these people is phenomenal. They were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace unless they bowed down and worshiped the, the image of the king. And of course, they couldn't do that. That would have been idolatry. They couldn't do it. They had no choice. But they made three statements that, that put their life in a perfect position for God to get glory. Number one, they said, our God they're saying this to the king, is able to deliver us. Now, loved ones, when I'm telling you that faith is not about you getting anything you want, don't go to the other extreme. Don't get to where you'd ask God for nothing. I don't have trouble with the idea of trusting God for healing or trusting God for miracles. I am here today because of the healing power of God. I, I am here today because of the miracles of God. But God hasn't always healed and he hasn't always answered my prayers. Well, he's always answered. He just didn't answer with the question, uh, the question with the way I instructed him to. No, 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 no. I'm not saying we shouldn't ask. I'm not saying we shouldn't seek. And at the heart of faith, every one of us, whether you believe this or this, every one of us must have the conviction that God is able God can do anything he wants. That was their first declaration. And I'm telling you, you need to quit telling people what they believe because you disagree with them. You need to quit telling people what they meant when they said something because you disagree with them. Just back off. Faith begins in every case with God is able. Okay? But they went a little further. And boy, this is good. They're just like they're, yeah. They said, we not only believe God is able, we believe that he will. They said, our God is able and he will. They said, we believe that God will deliver us. And we're saying, that's right. That's right. That's a good faith confession. God's able and God will. And that's where most Christians stop. God can do it. And I believe he will. But they made one more statement, and we do not allow it, 
We do not like it. We explain it away. We change churches over it. But if not, but if not, how powerful was that? We know this is faith. Now this is faith. We know that God has the power and with everything within us, we believe that he will deliver us. But you need to understand this, King. If it becomes evident to us that he's not going to deliver us, we still won't bow. And we still won't worship the image. See, loved ones, I'm, I'm not, you know I love you. I'm not trying to be belligerent. I'm not trying to be hostile. That's not my nature. It's, it's really not. But I, I need you to understand this. Some of you are saying, I'm headed toward victory. You're headed toward victory only if God does what you want him to do. Because you've never put an if not in your life. You have a faith that says God's able and I believe he's going to do it. But you have made no provision for an if not. You say, well, that's doubt. No, that's, that's connecting faith full circle. No question about his power. And I think if I'm hearing right, he's going to do this. But if I'm wrong, I'm still on his team. I'm still going to serve him. You say, well, I just don't see it that way. I understand. And, and you don't have to see it my way to go to heaven. But I'm going to tell you, you don't want to adopt a theology that makes you just jump from church to church, cursing people as you go along writing people off, writing pastors off, writing churches off, writing denominations off. And on your deathbed, you're laying there saying, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. And it's a shame that I'm the only one that got the full revelation of God. Loved ones, we have created a climate where we don't even let people die with honor. Somebody has fought a good fight. They've kept the faith. They finished their course. And we have the audacity to say, well, you wouldn't be dying in the first place if you had faith. You say, but don't we need to pray for them? Absolutely, we need to pray for them. We need to believe God. We need to, that's why we pray for the sick. We believe God heals. That's why when someone calls in with a prayer request, we always take that to the Lord in prayer because we know he can resolve problems. He can heal diseases. COVID is no match for God. Cancer is no match for God. We know that. So we pray. But we're not going to charge God foolishly. Say, I'm not comfortable with that. I know it's very uncomfortable. But I want to tell you, sometimes God does the un, um, unbelievably amazing and the amazingly miraculous. And sometimes God steps back. And that's when the highest level kicks in where we say, I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand what's happening. But Lord, I trust you. 
I follow you, and one day I will understand. See, I don't know, Pastor. I go to the graveside, and I've been going there for 40 years, and I still don't understand. Well, that's because he's not finished yet. We're not home yet. We're not home yet. Missionary went, spent the best years of his life on the field, had been gone for almost 50 years, came home, he and his wife, their children, some of them had died on the field. Horrible, horrible experiences along with some great blessings of revival. And he stood on the deck of the ship coming into the same port where he had left five decades earlier. His friends knew he was coming and he saw a band and it said, welcome home. And the band started playing and he thought, oh, they remembered me. They remembered me. And at that point, one of the stewards put their arm in front of him and said, excuse us while the president exits. And Teddy Roosevelt was coming back from one of his famous hunting trips and the band was for him. The welcome home was for him. And all the hoopla was for Teddy Roosevelt, which he deserved. And the man said, I got off the ship, one of the last to leave, went to a hotel room. Nobody greeted me. And he said, I sat down there and complained to the Lord that nobody came to tell me welcome home. And he said, the Lord spoke so plainly to me and said, but you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Loved ones, we need a faith that understands we're not home yet. But every promise he made, he can keep. Now, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to understand. We believe in the miraculous. We believe in healing. We believe in divine intervention. But I've pastored, I'm, I'm into my fifth decade of pastoring now, and I can't tell you how my heart is broken over the years, every church I've pastored, someone falls out with God or falls out with the church or falls out with faith. And it boils down to this. I prayed and asked God for this and God didn't do it. And you know, what I've come to the conclusion of is they weren't walking in faith. But not like you think I mean it. I'm not saying you didn't get what you wanted because you didn't have faith. I'm saying your faith was not strong enough to allow for a God who had a different opinion than you. You know what I find myself praying more and more as I get older? No, smart aleck, it's not Lord help me up. Well, there may be some truth in that. But anyway, <laughs> you know what I find myself praying about more and more situations? And I mean this sincerely. And, and I think my faith is stronger than it's ever been. But you know what I find myself praying? I said, Lord, don't let their faith fail. 
Don't let their faith fail. Praying this situation, that situation, Lord, don't let their faith fail. You say, well, that's just a negative attitude. Well, it's what Jesus said to the disciples. He said, you're about to face something that will make no sense at all. It will make no sense. What you've seen the last three years and then what's about to happen, it makes no sense. But I have prayed for you. How did he pray? That your faith doesn't fail. I believe we are facing days that God is going to do something for us that is an indescribable treasure if we can get through being angry with him. And it is this. He's going to take us to a place where we understand the true nature of faith. And my prayer for you is that your faith will not fail. My prayer for me is that my faith will not fail. Hey, we're, lo we're looking at some great words. I have repented. I've turned from and I've turned to. And every few days I'm turning around. But I have also embraced a faith that says God's word is true and cannot fail. If something doesn't work, it's because there's something I don't understand or something I don't know. And that faith not only tells me that he did it and he'll do it, but everything in my life. This is what Paul summarized the Christian life in Romans 8. He said this, I have learned that God is able to make everything, everything work together for good. He never said that it would be just good. Never said that everything is good. But he's able to make everything work together for good. And you say, okay, yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, it's, it's been years, but I see that was, that was God working for good. But loved ones, sometimes you're in, the, you're in that transition period and you can't see it work for good yet. It's, the wound is too raw. The, the, the hurt is too fresh. And you say, maybe with time, but I can't see it now. So he gave us another promise. God's able to make everything work together for good. And then he gave us another promise at the end of the chapter. He said, whenever you are facing something you don't know what to do with, remember this. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You don't understand that I'm being attacked by demons. I may die or I lost my loved one. You know what he said? He said, no demons, no principalities, nor pow no powers, not even life and death can separate us from the love of God. That's faith. That's faith. Now, this is the way you think I'm going to end the sermon. You think I'm going to tell you to toughen up. Go out of here and bear your cross. You sissies. No, nah, nah. I'd never say that. I'd never say that. But I tell you what I am saying. I'm saying if you're sick, come and be prayed for. Let's believe God for healing. If your relationship is broken, come and let's pray for the restoration of that marriage or the restoration of the family. We, we know that he's able and we've got to live believing that he will. But if in his wisdom, he chooses another direction, 
We don't lay out for six weeks. We don't pout, quit paying our tithe. We say God is too wise to be mistaken. And he's too kind to be cruel. He can, I believe he will, but if not, he's doing something better than I can see. You say, you got anything better than this pastor? Nah, is it, it's it. Would you stand with me please? We're about to enter back into worship for those that would like to stay. We're about to have prayer for those that know God can and believe that he will. Some of us may be through that, in that deep, dark place where we don't understand what's happening. I tell you what you do, you, you snuggle up, you snuggle up. Remember when you were a kid and you had a nightmare or, or thunder and lightning came, something frightened you, you might not even know what it was. What'd you do? You ran to mom and daddy. You got in bed with them. What are you afraid of? I don't know, but I know this is where I need to be. We run to him. Ministry team, would you come? Loved ones, this has been such a difficult message to, to communicate. I, I, I don't know how well I've done in communicating. But I want you to know that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly. And he'll always do it on his time. He loves me so much that he'll even say no when everything in me is demanding yes. Let me tell you this while I'm getting up, give you the illusion I'm done. <laughs> I, I, I've told you this too. My little boy, Jeremy, when he was a little fella, he, he loved keys and he loved to stick them in anything like wall sockets. And, and he started to put the keys in and it scared me so bad I yelled at him. I said, no, Jeremy, no. And he was just a little fella, preschooler. He looked at me and said, I am going to run away. And I'm going to fall in the goody. He couldn't say gully, but he was trying to say gully. I'm going to fall in the gully. I'm going to fall in the goody. And he looked at me and said, and you will have a son no more. <laughs> See, he thought that he could shame me into letting him stick the plugs in. But you know what? I loved him and still do. I loved him so much that I'd rather he be mad at me. I'd rather he misunderstand me for a moment than to be lost to me forever. So I know what you do. We've all done it. God, I'm not going back to church. Do you know God loves you so much he'll let you be mad with him for a while till you grow up and get over it? Because he knows if he caves in to you, if he caves in to me, it'll be terminal. You're struggling, but he loves you so much he's letting you struggle right now. But come for prayer. If you don't know Jesus and you're here in Brown Chapel, 
come forward and tell the ministry team, I want to know Jesus. If you're online and you don't know Jesus, call this, the number that will be on the screen. We've made an unofficial pledge to always be through by 12, so I'm going to stop before 12. Father, help us. You know where we are. You know where we are. And you know what has broken us. You know what is molesting our souls. You know what causes us to lay awake at night and weep bitter tears, saying, how long, how long, how long? Lord, help us to have faith. Give us faith. Like the disciples, I pray for all of us. Lord, increase our faith and help us to understand your mighty work. God bless you. Thank you for being here today.